is Mitchie, and welcome back to the Manic Manor podcast. I hope everybody's doing good. Hope everybody has had a good weekend. Um, so we have another case that was recommended to me to do, and I had originally heard about this case on the Dark Side of Soul podcast, and it has been covered by the Korean True Crime podcast that I listen to as well. So I figured that I would take my crack at it and see if I could cover it as well as both of those podcasts did. So this is the case of Molar Daddy, otherwise known as Ugami Appa, and we're going to start from the very beginning of his life, and then we're kind of going to go into how he was introduced into Korean society, because that's how people initially got to know who he was. But we're going to see that who he actually is versus who he portrayed, completely two different people. So... He was born as Yong Hak, and he came from a very wealthy family. But just because he came from this wealthy family didn't mean that he lived a necessarily kind or nice life. Uh, Yong Hak suffered from this condition that caused him to have tumors that would grow within his mouth. And with this condition, it is so rare that... Only a handful of people in the world have this condition, and it's called gigantiform hematoma. As I said, tumors will grow in the individual's mouth that is affected, and you have to have the tumors removed and a lot of reconstructive surgery because these tumors will cause a mass defigurement of the individual's face. So, Jung Hak was diagnosed with this condition at nine years old. And so from nine years old, probably up until he was in his late teens, he was having reconstructive surgery done. And kids are going to be kids, and maybe they didn't mean to be mean, but most of the time they do. He was bullied relentlessly, and he felt like an outsider because of this condition. So instead of finding other outlets to kind of control his upsetness and keep his mind at bay, he turned to lashing out towards other people. In fact, one day he came to school covered in blood and was boasting and bragging about how he had assaulted a young girl. And the teachers, naturally, they were like, oh my god, we gotta report this, we gotta do something about it. But because of, one, the way that the Korean school system is, two, family coming from wealth, and three, nobody had come forward. The principal said that there wasn't really much that they could do. So he pretty much got off with a smack on the wrist regarding that. And I believe in the Korean True Crime podcast, she said, you know, if they had just intervened there and stopped him or had done something, then a lot of this stuff that's happened now could have easily been prevented. And I agree with that. He also seemed to have a notorious spending habit because of the wealth that his family came from. So he was like blowing through money like it was no big deal. And it was an issue for his family because it like, it's not normal for somebody to blow through like $10,000 in a day. And for him that was like no big deal. So he did end up have to get a part-time job. like towards the end of his high school career at this sushi restaurant where he met this woman by the name of Chae Mi Soon, I believe is her name. Um, 
But it wasn't the type of relationship that is a healthy one. No, he pursued her in a way that was terrible and in turn assaulted her. And as a result of this, she ended up getting pregnant. And because of like stigma around this time, she did end up marrying him. So it was around 2003 that he got married to his wife and they had a daughter. Now, like I said earlier, he had this condition with the hematoma where he had these tumors. And around the age of six months old for his daughter, she started to show that she had symptoms of the same condition that he had. So she would be up at night crying and in pain. And he turned to the Korean broadcasting system. He turned to the media um, to ask for help. So that's how he became known as Molar Daddy, because the segment was done talking about how he had the same condition and he had all these surgeries and because of all the surgeries that he had, he only had one tooth. So about 2005, there was a hot issue focus that went on uh, the NBC broadcasting system and he showed the world these issues that he and his daughter were dealing with. So on this special, he would talk about how he was such a devoted and loving family man, how all he wanted to do was give his daughter a life that she deserved. And through the show, he would talk and make his daughter feel as comfortable as she could, but then like when she would lay down and take a nap, the camera would show him crying and feeling so bad because he had given his daughter this condition and he put her through all this pain. And as a result, this won over the hearts of so many people in South Korea. They felt genuinely terrible for him and they wanted to help any way possible. So he was getting all these donations that were racking in. He would go and do like little marathons where he would go on his bike and travel from one area to another to raise money for his daughter. And he would always talk about how the love that he had, both as a husband and a father, was bottomless. Like, the first best thing that ever happened in his life was he married his wife. The second was that he had his daughter. He would just constantly boast. And he also got the nickname Angel Father because of this. Like, there were so many women that would talk about how they wanted to have a partner that was just like Molar Daddy or Angel Father because he was so kind and so caring and all the strength that he had to endure. And there were so many people that just wished that they could find somebody that was like him. And so from the early 2000s until about 2017, everything seemed perfect. Like they were raising so much money for their daughter. They were able to pull themselves out of this poverty line that Loki, he had more than likely put them in. And I think they said at one point they had raised over 1.3 billion won for his daughter on top of government assistance that they were getting as well. It was just outstanding, but then we have the turn for the worse. So around the start of 2017, E's wife came forward 
and said that her stepfather, or stepfather-in-law, excuse me, had been assaulting her from the early 2000s up until this point. And it was numerous occasions stemming back from, I think it was like 2009. And all this would happen while Lee was over, like in the United States or somewhere else, trying to raise money to help his daughter and raise money for the medical expenses. And when the stepfather was confronted with all this, he said, no, that's not true. This was all consensual. This wasn't rape. She seduced me into this. So, in the midst of all of this, all of this chaos, Che would be found dead, laying on the street um, from what they initially assumed was a suicide because of all of the shame that came, came from her trying to reach out and say that she had been assaulted. Um, she had tried to file a report like four days prior and all of this had come out. So it kind of looked from an initial viewpoint like the reason that she had leapt to her death was because of all of this. Now, the way that Jung-Hak was acting around the scene caused a lot of suspicion. Like, she had fallen from the window, and when he came out there, like, he covered her stomach, like, pulled her shirt down, and for most people, they would think, oh, he's trying to protect her dignity, but CCTV footage that was caught would show him being on the phone, like, nonchalantly, and I've seen some of the footage, he didn't look like he was making distressed calls, like he was trying to call, like, relatives or anybody, friends, for help. It just looked like he was on the phone having a basic conversation while ambulances and first responders were over there trying to do CPR on his wife. And when they went to take her away, they asked him if he would want to come to the hospital as well, naturally, because, you know, this is her husband. Wouldn't the husband want to go with his wife to the hospital? But... He said no and went back up to their apartment and that's everything about that right there for me is screaming a red flag and even his daughter didn't want to go with her mother now for some people they would think you know she's still young uh, this is 2017 she was introduced like to the public in 2005 so she's still a fairly young girl and they would think of the daughter doesn't need to see her mother in that condition. Well, no, but it's still very strange that her husband, I mean, Yong-Hak did not want to go and see her. Now, of course, even though they did take her to the hospital, they did try to help her, she did eventually pass away. And his behavior afterwards just becomes even more erratic. Like, at her funeral, he was dressing her all up. Um, he asked to be alone with her for a little bit. And he took out a camera and started recording. Talking about, oh, how lucky she was to have a husband like him. How fortunate that he was so doting and caring towards her, even in her final moments. Like, he made a whole spectacle in this video about caring and loving his dead wife. And here her body is laying 
and after he does this video, he reaches out and he says, oh, I need help with the funeral expenses, so I, I can sell this to you for like 30000 or 300000 or whatever type of one. But the sheer fact that he was willing to film his dead wife act like he was doing her such this great act of service, everything about it was unsettling. And even for the media outlets that he had reached out to trying to sell this video, they were like, this, this is very unsettling. But yet still at this point, nobody's saying anything. Nobody's doing anything. It's, <clears throat> even the authorities looked at this like, what in the absolute hell is this guy doing? But I guess they thought that maybe that was just his grieving process and that's why nothing was done. It, it, everything about it was so weird. And the, another weird thing that really should be pointed out, that... He wasn't the one to initially call the cops when his wife leapt from the window, so to speak. And this could be a lot of conspiracy theories, too. But he didn't call the cops initially. There was a letter found regarding her suicide that was typed up on the computer. And while they initially assumed it was her suicide letter, it was... Typed. I mean, nobody could figure out if it was really her that typed it up, or did he type it up in haste? Everything was so... off. It, that's the only way that I could put it. And another thing was the window in the bathroom in which she was said to have leapt out of. This window was fairly small, and I'm sure if a person really wanted to, they probably could have crawled out of this window. But the way that she was laying on the ground, kind of, people talked about how it didn't seem like she was in a position where she would have jumped. Because, like, it seemed like she had fallen on her back, whereas if she tried to jump, maybe she'd be laying on her front, like, face first, head first, whatever. It was, it was just shocking. And the fact that the neighbors were the ones to call the police, it, it, it didn't look right to a lot of people. Now, they did do an autopsy. Um, they did find the DNA of the father-in-law from what I had seen. Her body was covered in bruises. Lee was questioned about all this, and he said that um, they did get into an argument that day, and he hit her with a can of, like, bug spray. I don't know why you would want to openly admit to that but that's the excuse that he gave for the bruises that were on his wife's body so that's it i don't know i don't know how to necessarily feel about all this now because like i said they did find the dna of, of the father-in-law still within her, this shows that stuff was going on. Like, all these accusations did in fact turn out to be true, and his father-in-law, the father-in-law, would be found hanging in a 
greenhouse, I believe. And he left a note apologizing for everything, saying that he just couldn't do it anymore and he was begging the police to seek justice for him. I mean, these right here, the wife ending up dead, his stepfather committing suicide, now he's now this family is in the public eye because none of like none of this looks none of this looks right at all. But this this isn't even the tip of the iceberg for what happens and why um Muller Daddy goes from being oh this angel father that is so loved to somebody who is extremely hated in the media. So it's not even a month after his wife has passed and his stepfather was found hanging by his wife. He starts going on to um, Twitter requesting for young girls between the ages of 13 and 20 to come live with him. And he said, oh, I'll teach you certain trades. All you have to do is just live here with us. I'll pay you if you just obey all the rules you can live here and it was extremely extremely weird and not only that he was looking through photos of his daughter's friends and there was one friend of his daughter that caught his eye and he's like oh she's extremely pretty um, I mean since we just lost mom don't you you need another mom don't you yeah why don't you have her come down and we can ask her if she would be willing to live with us. And I think because the way that his daughter had seen him this entire time, it was just like a golden ray of sunshine constantly shining down on him. Um, a lot of profilers later would say, you know, she was clearly like brainwashed into thinking his behavior was typical, was normal, that there you couldn't convince her that he was doing anything wrong like this man could piss on somebody's leg and tell her that that wasn't piss it was brain and she would flat out believe him and a child naturally is going to believe their parent but it just seems like she was groomed from such a young age to think that all this stuff is normal so she brings her friend over, and this is like a 14-year-old friend of hers. Um, I don't, don't think that she actually had a name that was given out because of her age, but um, she brings her friend over. Uh, Yong Hak says now to his daughter that I'm going to give her some drinks and stuff. Why don't you go out and play? And the daughter just daughter just goes doesn't think anything of it at all so the friend drank this she ended up passing out because this drink was laced with all sorts of sedatives and while she was drugged he proceeded to assault her have any kind of way that he wanted with her but unfortunately she did wake up in the midst of all of this and she was freaking out saying what the hell like what's going on I want to go home I need my I need my parents this, this what is going on like she was scared and rightfully so 
So, he ends up strangling this girl. And when his daughter comes back, he just nonchalantly says, well, some stuff happened, we're going to have to take care of this. And the daughter, thinking nothing of it, helped her father. So, they get the body of this girl's friend and put it in a suitcase. Um, they drive out and dump her body. And, oh, she, the young girl's body was found by a young man that was walking his dog, and she had clearly been out there for a little bit of time because the smell of decomposition was so awful. So when she does, when this body does get found and reported, they find out that it was the body of this 14-year-old girl that had been missing for some time. So the investigation goes underway, and they find out that Yonghak and his daughter were the last ones to see her alive. So they had made their way to Lee. And they do find out that she had been lured there by the daughter around noon, and she was drugged with the sleeping pills. When they took Lee in, and they did a psychic evaluation on him, they found that he scored like a 25 out of a 40 on a psychopathic scale. Now, I'm not sure what kind of scale this is, but it was noted that he had some weird tendencies. And remember when I said at the beginning of the episode, he showed signs and showed issues. Well, he had somehow managed to keep a lot of these at bay or just keep it this whole hidden life away from the public, but when the daughter, when the 14-year-old was discovered, the daughter's friend, everything, it was just like a cascading waterfall of information that came out. Police, they ended up searching the home of Yonghak, and they found that he was pretty much doing this low-key pimp thing where he would get these girls to come and live with him um, and he would just pimp them out like it was no big deal. They also found tapes and in these tapes, remember how we said the wife had come forward and was talking about how her father-in-law had assaulted her. It became known that Yunghak was well aware of what was going on and decided to use his wife as a way to gain extra income. He was pimping her off and she was being constantly assaulted and I can't imagine what she was feeling because this was going on the entire marriage. She tried to go to Yonghak and tell him what was going on and instead of him being the doting and 
caring husband like what he had portrayed himself as, he decided to use her for his financial gain. It's absolutely disgusting. And it was no it became known that he had a thing for younger girls too. When he was confronted with all this, all he had to say was, "Oh, I'm sorry. I acted out like this. It's just because I miss my wife so much." Like, dude, no. This like you are a disgusting human being. So they also found out that he had had 11 prior convictions prior to all of this regarding fraud, theft, trespassing. So this entire persona of the angel father Muller daddy that he had put out towards the world, it became known that it just was not true. And of all of that money, of all the money that was raised for his daughter, I don't even think it was like half of it was actually spent on her expenses. Now there were some trails showing that the money did go towards her surgeries, like towards soul. Um, I think it was like, like one of the more pronounced hospitals in Seoul and all that. But the vast majority of all that of all the funds of the 1.3 billion won that was raised, it was going towards luxury items like watches cars, electronics, all this. So he was taking advantage of this situation that his daughter was in to raise money for himself. And I think about 7.5 million won he was using out of the 1.3 billion. He did all this stuff luxury goods, surgeries on himself to make him look better, and even get a high-scale apartment in Gundam. And all this came out during this investigation, and I, you can just imagine how wrought the world was when they discovered this. This was a man who, all these years ago, looked like he was the definition of a perfect husband, perfect father, an all-around good guy, even though he had struggled so much. And he took that and turned it into an advantage for him that was so sick and so disgusting. So after the trial, um, Lee's daughter, she had been given a sentence of six years in juvenile because of her involvement in helping him murder her own friend. And when they um, were speaking to her about it, she said, you don't understand. My dad's a good guy. He's got a reason for what he does what he does. And like I said, this is why they said they think that she was so brainwashed that she couldn't necessarily tell the good from the evil. Um, now she did get the six years, but um, they said that it could be reduced down to four for good behavior. Lee, on the other hand, he was initially given the death sentence due to the horrific nature of what he had done. But he did appeal. He played the oh, woe is me card. You're doing this to me because of my disability, because of all of this. You're doing this to me. This isn't fair. Honestly, I would have 
smacked him in the face myself if I had to listen to him say that shit. And while the death sentence is still on the books in Korea, it's not really acted upon. I think the last case of an execution in South Korea was done in 1997. But he did appeal, and the court considered and said, okay, well, we'll lessen your sentence to life in prison. They assumed that, oh, because you've lost your wife, this was something that was done in the heat of the moment. It's not likely that he was going to reoffend. Which I think is bullshit because if you really look at it, he clearly had a pattern. He may not have acted as impulsively as like serial killers do, but he still showed from a young age that he had problems. So I don't think this is necessarily um, an act of impulsivity. He literally was just pissed off that he got caught and could not get his way. That is the case of the Molar Daddy, and I do apologize if this kind of just seemed like all over the board, it's, I don't, <laughs> it's just really upsetting the fact that he could take advantage not only of his wife, but of his daughter, and of a condition, and then play that kind of card and think that people were going to give him some sort of sympathy. It's, it's insane, it's nuts. But anyway, thank you guys for listening to this episode. If there's anything that I need to correct or anything that you would like to additionally add on as well, feel free to reach out to me. Our email is manicmanorpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also reach us on Facebook and Instagram at manicmanorpodcast. And if you feel so inclined and you are willing to, then we do have a Patreon set up, uh, Manic Manor Podcast. Um, we are considering doing some short stories or some series going on urban legends. So if you want to join, then feel free to, but not necessarily necessary. Well, until the next episode, guys, I hope you all have a good weekend. Hope you have a good week and stay safe.